1: We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. We'll be talking about current uh, things that are going on in today's society, including, well, we'll be talking about balloons, Nikki Haley, the Ukraine and children, and more here on the Bob Hardin Show. It is February the 15th, and on this day in 1898, a massive explosion of unknown origin sunk the battleship USS Maine in Cuba's Havana harbor, killing 260 of the fewer than 400 American crew members aboard. One of the first American battleships, the Maine weighed more than 6,000 tons and was built at a cost of more than $2 million. Ostensibly on a friendly visit, the Maine had been uh, sent to Cuba to protect the interests of Americans there after a rebellion against Spanish rule broke out in Havana in January. An official at U.S. Naval Court of Inquiry ruled in March that the ship was blown up by a mine without directly placing the blame on Spain. Much of Congress and a majority of the American public expressed little doubt that Spain was responsible and called for a declaration of war. Talk about jumping to conclusions. (laughs) Subsequent diplomatic failures to resolve the main matter, coupled with the United States' indignation over Spain's brutal suppression of the Cuban Rebellion and continued losses to American investment, led to the outbreak of the Spanish-American War in April 1898. Within three months, the United States had decisively defeated Spanish forces on land and sea, and in August, an armistice halted the fighting. On December twelfth, 1898, a Treaty of Paris was signed between the United States and Spain, officially ending the Spanish-American War and granting the United States its first overseas empire with the ceding of such former Spanish possessions as Puerto Rico, Guam, and the Philippines. In 1976, a team of American naval in- investigators concluded that the main explosion was likely caused by a fire that ignited its ammunition stocks, not by a Spanish mine or act of sabotage. 1976, just think about that, 78 years after uh, the war broke out. Uh, USS Maine exploded in Havana Harbor on this day in 1898. Well, Republicans in Florida legislature have approved $10 million to fly border crossers and illegal aliens to sanctuary jurisdictions. The legislation is expected to be signed by the governor, Last week, the Republicans in the Florida House voted to approve a bill that would authorize the state to spend up to $10 million transporting border crossers and illegal aliens to sanctuary jurisdictions throughout the United States. The Florida Senate approved the bill earlier last week, and DeSantis is expected to sign the bill into law sometime before February the 25th. The state of Florida is not and never will be a sanctuary state, said Senator Blaise in, in, uh, Goglia. Uh, It's time for those sanctuary cities to put their money where their mouth is. It's kind of interesting. I wonder if these sanctuary cities and states actually have a budget or whether it's just a virtue signaling without any money at all. Last year, DeSantis swept national attention when he sent two flights of illegal aliens to the ultra-liberal elite island of Martha's Vineyard. Quickly after their arrival, officials on the island declared a humanitarian crisis and Governor uh, Charlie... Baker intervened to bust the illegals off the island to Joint uh, Base Cape Cod. Uh, Days later, many of the illegal aliens uh, filed a class action lawsuit against DeSantis claiming he violated their Fourth and Fourteenth Amendment rights by enticing them to board uh, flights to Martha's Vineyard. The legislation passed by the Florida legislature looks to be to fully fund and authorize such flights to sanctuary jurisdictions that have enacted laws to shield aliens from arrest and deportation. Flying border crossers and illegal aliens to sanctuary jurisdictions is particularly popular with Cuban in, Cubans in Florida. A majority of 71% said they supported DeSantis migrant flights last year, likewise 56% uh, swing voters back the flights along with 90% of Republicans. And keep in mind, this is bipartisan legislature that is passed. This is not the Republicans doing. This. this is both the Republicans and Democrats voting to ship these people off to sanctuary cities. I hope they have a budget for it. There's certainly not a lot of them, for example, in uh, New York City. Well, uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and legislative leaders want a form, uh, reform to take on frivolous lawsuits and put a stop to what the governor calls predatory practices by trial lawyers. DeSantis held a news conference in Jacksonville Tuesday with House Speaker Paul Renner and uh, Senate President Kathleen Pasadomo, uh about the proposals which would eliminate one-way attorney fees and multi- fee multipliers for all lines of insurance modernized Florida's bad-faith law and put caps on uh, damage claims to protect small businesses. These are things in the laws that are uh, trying to create opportunities to bring cases, DeSantis said. One of the reasons our auto insurance rates are higher here is because there's a lot of cost in litigation embedded in these auto insurance premiums. Uh, DeSantis noted the stark difference between what the client receives and what the lawyer receives. So there was one case, he says, where the client was awarded $216.67 and the lawyer got over $100,000 in fees, DeSantis said. There was one case where $2,114.55 was awarded to the client and the attorney was able to recover almost eight times the amount that the client did. House Speaker Renner supported the changes and said the new proposals will uh, level the playing field for legitimate claimants. This is really about being, bringing things into balance, Renner said. We want people with, uh, with legitimate claims to bring their claims, but you should never have a situation where a client gets 200 bucks and the lawyer gets 100000 bucks. Senate President Kathleen Pasadena spoke about rising property insurance costs and the legislation passed in December's special session to combat it. She said is a large part of the reason why costs are becoming unmanageable is the cost of litigation and lawyers using the system for their own gain. <clears throat> Pasadena noted that uh, the most lawyers in Florida perform their jobs well, but a small number of them are chasing fees through suing insurance companies. She also pointed out that these types of lawyers do not mention their clients' needs once, nor do they properly represent them. We have to stop that practice, Pasadenault said. The Florida Bar regulates them, and they have done nothing to stop the practices that they have employed. If Florida Bar doesn't do it, then we'll have to, Pasadenault further stated, that the changes put in place will be to protect the Floridians and their interests. We're going to work through these issues, and we're going to uh, come up with some legislation to protect you, to protect your businesses, and to protect those who actually have cases from the lawyers that are just doing it to raise fees, Pasadomo said. (coughs) Congratulations, uh, Senate President Pasadomo. I know she's working hard, showing up at all these different announcements, and plus uh, trying to take care of all the legislation as well in the Senate. Well, a former senior Department of Energy uh, official, Sam Britton, remember him? is scheduled to appear in Minnesota court on Wednesday to face charges stemming from a September baggage theft. In late October, Britton was charged with stealing a woman's luggage worth $2,325 near the baggage claim area at Minneapolis-St. Paul International Airport. That was on September the 16th. According to the criminal complaint filed in Hennepin County, Britain faces up to five years in prison and a $10,000 fine as a result of the incident. Well, this is just another case where justice, uh, the wheels of justice grind slowly, but they grind fine. And it's great to see that he'll be bring, brought to justice. He did this twice. He stole luggage twice. I don't know if he'll be charged on the second count, but th- this is he could go to jail for a long time as a result of this. Well, the railway company behind the Ohio crash turned record profits in 2022, while drastically cutting employees and quality of life, Norfolk Southern, the railway company behind the Ohio derailment on February the 3rd that forced a town to mass to mass evacuate, had record profits in 2022 despite employee reductions and lackluster treatment of existing workers. Did Norfolk Southern forego safety in lieu of profits? And form a Twitter thread from woke society's features. An interview segment with uh, Precision Scheduled Railroading with uh, Clyde Whitaker, a leader of the Sheet Metal, Air and uh, Rail Transportation Union, and Ohio State Legislative Director. This interview took place in December 2022 during the gravely consequential railroad strikes and negotiations uh, uh, by Joe Biden. (laughs) In the clip, Whitaker is asked about precision scheduled railroading and if it means shorter staff, longer hours, longer trains, less safety, less maintenance. Do I have all that right? Whitaker responds, you've got it right. A lot of the derailments you see on national TV are ones of uh, a few things. It's lacking maintenance on the track where they cut the track gangs to uh, shorten and they can uh, get out to fix it or they've uh, cut the carmen's, which is the uh, union that works on the rail cars. Whitaker goes on to talk about the derailment in northeast Ohio that was caused by a wheel flange. Uh, fortunately, one wasn't severe enough that it was mainly transporting candle wax. Whitaker claims that uh, the overworking employees is an effort to maximize profits To uh, is responsible for cutting inspection times for cars in half from three minutes to 90 seconds per car. So... Uh, Issues regarding overworking and understaffing stem back as far as 2017, according to Boston.com. Well, you know, they've had a lot of time to clean this up. I don't know why they haven't (coughs) done so. We need a better quality of life for our railroaders, the PSR motto, and STB, uh, Service Transportation Board, really need to step in. They have the power to step in and stop the PSR madness. The customers are suffering as well. In my opinion, this is just inhuman, what happened uh, to this town, Palestine East. Or Palestine, uh, it's Palestine East. Uh, I know it's a Republican stronghold, but it seems that the EPA and others are taking very little notice of what happened here. Uh, Pete Buttigieg is certainly not taking notice. The president's not taking notice. And uh, they, it seems that they just don't care about these people because they're not taking uh, steps to make sure that they're going to be safe. It's really sad. The people of East Palestine, however, probably aren't as pleased. They've been offered collectively a million dollars among around 700 families or 5,000 residents or $200 per resident. Can you believe that? Residents can now get bottled water and water testing of their private wells to ensure they're safe. The contractors testing the water work for uh, uh, Norfolk Southern. Just all very sad. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Okay, coming up, we're going to be visiting uh, with... Uh, Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. That and more right here in Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is B's Diner, providing great service reservations are needed check out the website at Lulubies.com and stop by Lulubies diner open from 8 a.m until 2 p.m seven days a week Lulubies diner in the green tree shopping center at the corner of immokalee and airport pulling roads stop by Lulubies diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin good time
0: Forty-five, forty-one. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by InternationalHealthPlans.com. If you're planning on traveling abroad, well, did you realize your health insurance may not cover you where you're traveling abroad. Uh, You can find out more and get the confidence that you need when you travel by uh, visiting internationalhealthplans.com, internationalhealthplans.com. We have with us Professor Andrew Jopper, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. We typically start our Wednesday discussions with some good news. Do you have any good news for us? Well, it
2: becomes more and more difficult to find the good news, but I think there is some real good news out there today, Bob. Um, Yesterday, day before yesterday, Japan announced that they were going to return to uh, a greater use of nuclear power. They're not going to build new plants, but they will be uh, refurbishing uh, their old plants. Uh, and going back to using nuclear power as a major source of of their energy. Uh, This is based apparently on Japan's concern with the dramatic increase in in energy prices. Now, if there's one country in the world that could perhaps legitimately have a reason to not go back to nuclear, it would be Japan. Uh, First of all, obviously, you have the original Hiroshima Nagasaki uh, issue, which is emotionally still charging the Japanese people. And then you have the Fukushima problem with the uh, uh, the, the tsunami and, and so forth. But again, Japan looked at the reality of it, and uh, the reality said uh, that this is something that they ha- they have to do. Uh, I am surprised that the United States apparently, and I haven't uh, seen any dramatic confirmation of this, the United States is uh, supporting and backing this plan for uh, Japan to return to a larger uh, a nuclear source for their energy uh, i'd like to see the same thing uh, happening here If there's a real concern in anyone's mind about the the environment, whether it's uh, global warming, which I am not concerned with, or any other atmospheric uh, contaminants, certainly the use of nuclear power is is as clean and as inexpensive as we can get. If we look at the one uh, historic uh, um, nuclear disaster at Chernobyl, that was a first-generation Russian plant. It was uh, shabbily built, and it was within old technologies. Essentially, there has not been a, uh, a serious uh, nuclear uh, accident any place in the world other than at, at Chernobyl. Even Fukushima, when it uh, had a semi meltdown uh, because of the uh, tsunami and earthquake, uh, even that caused no death while the tsunami itself killed 20,000 people. Yeah. So just to sum this up, I'm pleased to see Japan going back, but I am looking at this as good news primarily because it may be the start of a of, of a saner return to the use of nuclear power by the United States itself, Bob.
1: So, Andy, explain to me, if you can, why does the uh, Green Movement look askance at nuclear power?
2: I, I, I really... Can't explain it except it goes down to uh, the China Syndrome back in the mid seventies when the movie was made, showing that the the core would melt down and go right through the center of the earth. Bob, I think it's a uh, just a continuing emotional response to that. Um, I don't think there's any reality to it. The the uh, as we, I just indicated, right now worldwide there's about four hundred and fifty nuclear reactors huh. operating, all within tremendous. Uh, safety standards and limits. Uh, there are 57 or so new nuclear facilities being built. Uh, so this is not something that's a, uh, a risky technology. It's not something that hasn't documented its value. So it's very hard to explain um, uh, other than by uh, saying, if I was to look at it uh, cynically, uh, I would suggest it's just another uh, attempt by the by the left to uh, further weaken the United States as a uh, as a uh, as a world power. Bob.
1: Well, the other thing is it doesn't fit into the uh, uh, green energy plan. In other words, uh, the right people aren't going to get rich as a consequence of the crony capitalism and so forth. So uh, it's all it's all so corrupt, Andy.
2: Well, I mean, it, it, that's, that's the horrible point we, we've reached. It's uh, almost impossible to, to believe anything that comes out of the government. I know that sounds uh, unduly cynical, perhaps, to some. But uh, at this point, uh, I think everything has to be questioned in terms of, of motivation and, and intent. And I think what you suggested is, is certainly true. It, it's, there's no money-making uh, element to the, uh, to the uh, further development of nuclear power in the United States, Bob.
1: So true, Andy. Any other good news?
2: Uh, well, I'd like to see it as good news, and I think it is. Dianne Feinstein has indicated uh, with some confusion that she is not going to run for the, for the Senate. I, I think the one good news part about that is it will uh, probably dramatically cut down on the income going to CCP st- uh, spies, uh, one that she pro- previously had associated uh, with her for 20 years, Bob.
1: Yeah, that would be her driver. Her driver, yes. yeah. Yeah, un- unbelievable. So, uh, who's gonna who's gonna uh, run in her spot?
2: Um, I I don't know. Have you heard any anyone coming forward at this point?
1: No, I haven't.
2: I I, I don't know. I mean, maybe um, is Adam Schiff is that the slot that he was contemplating filling, or was it something else? A you good know? point. I
1: believe that is the spot that he was uh, he would like to fill.
2: Well. Uh, and Adam, look, I mean, Diane Feinstein, I had problems with, but she had moments when uh, when she was lucid. Uh, Adam Schiff has not shown that. Uh, not only has he not shown that lucidity, but he's he's also indicated a a, a dramatic willingness to to lie, obviously lie in uh, in public information that he is releasing. Bob,
1: uh, very sad indeed. So, Andy, can you stick around? Yeah, of course. Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show. In the meantime. Uh, the times are changing, and trends in funeral service is no exception. The traditional somber formal affair marking one's passing is transitioning into a celebratory event where family and friends can gather more casually in a relaxed setting that incorporates the comforts of home. This coming Sunday, February the 19th, Hodges Life Celebration Center, located at 26051 South Tamiami Trail in Benita Springs, will host a community open house and reception from two to four p.m. with a red ribbon cutting and champagne toast at three fifteen p.m. The new facility reflects the latest innovation in funeral services by Hodges. It's a dynamic; it is dynamic in its capacity to accommodate both traditional and non-traditional funerals and memorials. That, according to Michelle Matusak, the funeral director, we are also eager to extend our facility to the community as a gathering place for those wanting to host a special brunch or luncheon among friends or perhaps a dinner to honor an anniversary or a milestone event. We offer catering service second to none, says Matuzak. Well, the special guest for uh, Sunday afternoon will be Mrs. Thelma Hodges. She's the widow of former uh, founder Earl Hodges, who passed in 2013. The two arrived in Naples in 1955, and they were both invited to the same dinner party, in voila, They ended up married for uh, 55 years. She, by the way, is one of the three founding nurses of NCH Healthcare, and he was uh, a returning veteran uh, from the Korean War, but uh, made a brief stop uh, before going on to Tennessee. Well, it wasn't so brief. He ended up uh, staying in Naples and starting uh, Hodges Funeral Home. Uh, To make reservations for the event, and again, that's coming up this Sunday, uh, February uh, February the 19th, 2 to 4 p.m., call 366-5333, 366-5333. Okay, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. To the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host,
1: Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. You can find out more and get tickets now by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Always good to be here, Bob. Thank you, Andy. And uh, any more good news for us?
2: I don't know if it's good news. I have a few uh, items in passing that are perhaps interesting, and one is a pet peeve of mine. And uh, then I want to get into the discussion of, of balloons, which I never thought I'd be talking about on your show. But I think that's where we are. First place, just Valentine's Day thing. I don't like events that only have negative implication. In other words, if you mess up ne- Valentine's Day, you're in trouble. You could be a perfect husband for, for 364 days a year. You mess up Valentine's Day, and it's negative. So I, I don't like these control- dates like Valentine's Day that assume such a huge significance. And Valentine's Day is growing in its importance. When I was in the classroom uh, teaching, my classes would disappear on the night of Valentine's Day, uh, just primarily because everybody had to go to dinner. So uh, enough about that. I just wanted to squeeze in that that pet peeve of mine. Uh, One issue that I think is significant is the, the continued use of the word equity, equity. We hear it all the time. Uh-huh. It is a, uh, a constant uh, refrain from the left in terms of, uh, of uh, diversity issues and so forth. Uh, let's just talk about equity uh, as, it, as what it really represents. There are approximately um, uh, 30 uh, percent of the population is, is African-American. Uh, that's a, the, at, at, at most. If we look at the number of available African-Americans, Uh, to fill positions, the number could probably be put at anywhere from 10 to 12 million if we we look at the available population. Just if we look at the math of this whole thing, I'm sorry, this is not a negative comment about African-Americans, but there just aren't enough to go around. If we look at this pressure to fill every position in this country or or load every Category of position in this country uh, to, to satisfy equity, there just are not enough African Americans to go around. That's not negative about African Americans. It's just a mathematical reality, Bub.
1: Well, and here's the thing too. It doesn't. It, it, what you want to hear from your airlines, for example, United Airlines is we've gone out and we've uh, uh, we've hired all the very best pilots we could possibly find we've uh, actually uh, cannibalized the the field to make sure that we now have the best uh, pilots so that you can fly rest assured knowing that the best pilots uh, for United Airlines are in the skies with United, as opposed to, uh, you know, we're going to make sure that we, even if we can't find, any, find anybody uh, qualified, we're going to hire somebody uh, who is a person of c- color and uh, we're going to tr- train them on how to do the job and, uh, you know it's it 's just very scary right now, and now the we 're seeing the consequences of it we 're seeing near misses in in uh, in uh, flights we 're seeing uh near tragedy uh, happening in in our airfields
2: well there's no doubt and i've heard some of the i guess I would call it whistleblower feedback from some of the uh, pilots in training or pilots uh, associated with American Airlines describing the uh, the training failures the uh, the, the consistent uh, failure in training for some for some people, uh, and yet they make it to the uh, to the flight deck of uh, of passenger airliners. I think there's you know we could point out many areas where the uh, the forced uh, insertion of people without competency is damaging to to the economy. But there's no place that's more dramatic than it, yeah. than it is as it pertains to to pilots, as you as you spelled out. And uh, we, we just have to get away from this nonsense. The, we have to get back to a uh, a meritocracy. We've got to get back to uh, to a system that acknowledges that safety and efficiency to a certain extent, to a large extent, uh, are critical elements, uh, first of all, for the well-being of the people that are impacted, and secondly, for the, well, the, the success of the economy, Bob. Uh, and these are very dangerous things that we're dealing with right now.
1: No question. I mean, when these poor people in uh, uh, East uh, uh, pa- Palestine, uh, I guess it is, and, in uh, Ohio, and uh, well, the the damage that they had to their economy, to the drinking water, to the air, to to everything that's going on right now. And Pete Buttigieg, he's simply com- commenting that we just don't have enough white workers, or we've got too many white workers. We need more workers who are in unions, who are uh, people of color.
2: That's absolutely amazing comment. I mean, and the same thing happened with the uh, some of the construction projects where. Uh, his His lament that we, there weren 't enough people of color from in, in these firms that were doing the construction and you know the the fact that because it what they didn 't align with the existing population where the construction was was taking place which is which has nothing to do with it because a firm has employees and they move those people where they have to be placed for construction so uh, there's constant focus on uh, on these uh Affirmative action, I'll call it hirings and positioning, uh, very, very damaging, and, and certainly it, it's detrimental to not only, as, we point, as I pointed out before, the, the economy and the safety of people in this economy, uh, but also to the, uh, the very um, uh, pride of African Americans who get into a position because they've, uh, they've broken their back, worked hard done everything to, uh, to be successful and are extremely competent, and yet many of them have expressed the notion that once they get there, they're still seen as affirmative action hires, primarily because of the very existence of the process. So I think it damages these, these extremely hard-working African-Americans who have, who have done everything to, to document their, their value and their right to be there, and yet it diminishes them once they're in those roles, Bob.
1: Uh, Certainly, uh, certainly the case. And uh, by the way, isn't the affirmative action up to be reviewed by the Supreme Court?
2: I keep hearing that. Uh, I think the affirmative action cases were within the um, uh, admissions policies at Harvard, primarily. I don't know if they would have any larger uh, general implication. Uh, I think just for your audience, I I think uh, a little background. I don't want to take too much time with it, but I think it's it's probably. Appropriate. Uh, first of all, equal employment opportunity came in in the mid in the mid '60s, uh-huh. and I think that no one disagrees with that. The best person uh, who, who deserves the job should get the job. That's equal employment opportunity. When that did not produce the numbers, the balancing, norming numbers as they would have them uh, in terms of the uh, the number of African Americans. It wasn't women at that point, but African Americans jobs at that point. Affirmative action was, uh, was implemented, and regardless of how it's been denied, it produced racial quotas, and that was the start of all of the rest of it, Bob. So uh, no one has any problem that I'm aware of with equal employment opportunities, certainly appropriate and necessary at that point, and still. But affirmative action says that it does equal employment opportunity does not matter. What we have to do is have statistical norming, and that is a problem, Bob.
1: No question. It's ironic that the, the, the uh, Chinese, is it the Chinese or the Japanese that uh, are basically complaining that uh, they have been discriminated against because of uh, their advanced intelligence by comparison in, in STEM pro- uh, activities. So uh, it's really ironic what's going on.
2: Well, there's no doubt the Eastern Asian, uh, if we talk about worldwide IQs being uh, measured, and let's presume that they have some implication, yes, and they do. Uh, It's not everything, but uh, measured IQs matter. The Eastern Asian has the highest group Uh, IQ, except for one other group, and that's the Ashkenazi Jew. Uh, That's the only group that measures higher than the Eastern Asian. So yes, this is a significant uh, advantage when you're talking about uh, especially having a billion and a half people as in China. Now, they're not all in East China, but uh, the Eastern Asian, uh, certainly a huge number. This is a significant advantage when it comes into uh, the, uh, the competitive battles of great nation states. So, yeah, I mean, and certainly the Asians have been dominating many areas. They have the largest uh, economic unit in America right now. Uh, many of them have faced discrimination early on, certainly the Chinese in the, uh, in the latter part of the, uh, of the 19th century and going into the early part of the 20th century. And yet pushing aside that discrimination right now, Asians are the most successful economic group in America, and I'm going to say it's because of natural talents, Bob.
1: Absolutely, Andy. I want to talk to you about what's happening with the balloons. Can you stick around?
2: Yeah, I, I really have to talk about balloons,
1: Bob. All right, we're going to have here, more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Hardin Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Thank you.
0: Back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. We get the politics and we know the policy. We prepare elected officials to win in the legislature. And you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. No
2: place I'd rather be than here, Bob. Well,
1: you know what? I feel exactly the same way. And Andy, uh, what do you make of this big brouhaha about balloons?
2: Well, as I mentioned, the off-air, it's, it's either the, the least important event in our history or the most important event in our history. And we don't know which. It's probably someplace in between those two things. If we look at the use of balloons as a, as a weapon of war, that can go back to the, uh, to the 18th century. So uh, this is returning to a technology uh, that has long been used for surveillance purposes and so forth. Uh, if we look at What has happened here? I'd like to sum up our response in terms of a created headline. The date of that headline is December 8th, 1941, the day after Pearl Harbor. The United States announces that they're going to move all their battleships out of Pearl Harbor to protect them from enemy attack. Now, that's about the same type of situation as as I see it. We have this first flyover, which we detected early on from its original launch. We watched it float uh, with some control, apparently, uh, through the Al- Alaskan waters, uh, take a cut south down through the military bases, now through the middle of the country, and finally being shot down uh, off the coast of, of the Carolinas. Uh, so this is a, um, uh, a balloon, and I, I don't, we still don't know what to make of it. But I don't think uh, we can eliminate the possibility that this is uh, some variation of uh, Chinese asymmetric warfare. Now, you and I had talked about asymmetric warfare a while back, as it, <clears throat> excuse me, as it pertained to the perhaps, perhaps now intentional release of the of the COVID virus. Now, um, again, that was just a potentiality that this was a asymmetric form of warfare. But if we look at the Chinese going back as far as as uh, 2017, China was using large balloons of this type to carry hypersonic missiles and EMP generators, electromagnetic pulse generators. Uh, Now, certainly, uh, if these weapons uh, could make it to the United States, either the hypersonic missiles or, perhaps more devastatingly, uh, the EMP generators, then these could lay uh, waste to large areas of America. Now. I am not suggesting that that was the case but I think you know knowing this concept of asymmetric warfare has dominated Chinese military thinking since the latter part of the uh, of the uh, the 20th century the late 90s actually uh, I think this this can't be ignored in terms of what we're looking at uh, as it, as 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 to what's happening now with this vast number of identified uh, identified, unidentified flying objects that are being shot down. One of the uh, suggested long-term implications uh, that the China is using is a long-term look at eventually sending up a weather balloon with people sending it over the United States and having it be shot down with the resulting uh, diplomatic havoc that that would cause for the United States. Uh, That's not something I'm just making up here for the show. That is something that's being suggested by those that have surveyed uh, Chinese, uh, not only military tactics, but propaganda tactics. So getting back to your original question, what do I make of it? Um, I basically think it's a it's a non-event. It can't be ignored, of course, because of its of its implications. And I think we can't get to a point of being desensitized to these balloons because they do have the potential, as I just indicated, of carrying hypersonic missiles or EMP generators. So uh, we're sort of caught between a rock and a, and a hard place. Um, we, we may be caught in a, in a diplomatic boondoggle if we shoot down manned balloons that are documentable as, as weather balloons, uh, and yet we can't ignore them and let them exist. So um, as to how the future will play out, I think that future uh, as best I can understand the situation, is unfortunately in the hands of the Chinese, not in ours.
1: Well, and I, again, just reminded of uh, Pogo's old statement, we've met the enemy and it is us. I mean, I think about how woke we are and how we are unable to meet our recruiting goals and how we get diverted away from uh, the importance of winning a war and uh, focused on things that just don't matter. The Chinese uh, Communist Party has to be laughing right now and think about how the, that one balloon crossing the United States and how really sad it looked for the United States not to be responding and not taking it out before it reached the East Coast. Uh, really incredible.
2: Yeah, and, and the language used to describe this, the, the horror of Chinese violating our airspace you know, that's, that's all true. We talked about this last week. Every nation surveils every other nation uh, that they choose to uh, until they're caught. Uh, and so, again, I never regard surveillance by a nation of, of another nation as being anything but a business as usual. Right. Uh, what has been different in this uh, has been our delayed response. And I think the, the Chinese have taken note of that, uh, the confusion that resulted from that one balloon. As you just pointed out, we can only imagine what would happen with some sort of a probing uh, involvement in Taiwan by the Chinese, where it wasn't quite a state of warfare, and yet it indicated that that state had been uh, uh, approximated uh, in Taiwan. How would we handle uh, not a state of active war, but a potential of war that had been expressed through a proximity to the to the uh, to the Taiwanese uh, uh, island? Bob, uh,
1: amazing stuff indeed. Uh, changing topics so slightly, uh, Nikki Haley has now thrown her name in the uh, in in the presidential race. And uh, what do you think? What's the significance you, of that? You suggest
2: you? That moving from balloons to Nikki Haley is only a slight change, but I'll accept that. <laughs>
1: okay, <laughs>
2: I'll accept. Well, I, I have a um, an historic problem with Nikki Haley, primarily because she uh, she has vacillated so dramatically to put her finger in the air and and test how it is in terms of Donald Trump. Uh, Obviously, during 2016, she attacked him, then she supported him. Uh, Then she uh, really uh, quite dramatically blamed uh, Trump for the shooting in in South Carolina, the uh, shooting at the church. Uh, she blamed him uh, being irresponsible for the January 6th event, uh, saying that his words were uh, intentionally provocative at uh, during his rally uh, at that point. So most of my views on, on Haley are formed because, as yes, you know, I'm, I'm a significant Trump supporter. I uh, I remain strong in that category. So that's my major lament. But she's also been a, a strong neocon advocate for a war, a wartime circumstances. She advocated sending troops troops. troops into Syria to protect the Kurds, our troops actively into Syria for that purpose. Uh, She has actively uh, advocated for a wartime environment between the United States and Iran, not just suggesting that Iran is hostile, but uh, provocative statements about war. On the other hand, she has been extremely soft uh, on the issue of, in any way, controlling the tech monopolies as it pertains to information, uh, information release in this country. Um, In in my personal view, uh, she is just a candidate uh, that has checked the box, a woman of immigrant uh, parents and so forth. In that in itself, that is not a negative. But I think she is, again, in the category where it's just checking a box. And I think she's been a political opportunist uh, and I think that's what we're seeing right now, Bob.
1: So, is uh, is any candidate going to really give uh, President Donald Trump a run for his money?
2: I don't think so. But uh, that uh, I'm very biased in that area. I think that he his strength remains in place amazingly with all the uh, the negatives that have been inappropriately heaped on him. Uh, I think that uh, you and I have talked about the the primaries and. Um, you know, I know you see them as a, a a good, healthy thing for America, and I I can't argue with that. On the other hand, I uh, I think we're in a situation right now as a nation where we need a more focused, committed response uh, to America first and to to the issues that Donald Trump has been the uh, the major advocate for. Uh, especially as it pertains to what has to happen, I think, in 2025, as it pertains to uh, depoliticizing American institutions, uh, primarily the FBI, the Department of Justice, the NSA, and so forth. So I see the only one that I think I can rely on right now going into that period, uh, and I have confidence in, would be Donald Trump. Uh, I hope America sees it that way. Getting back to your, your, your question, no, I, I don't think there'll be any serious challenge to uh, to Donald Trump in the primaries.
1: Yeah, in my opinion, I mean, it's, it's, uh, the more the merrier I would imagine Donald Trump is saying to himself, let's have as many candidates as you want to run, go ahead and run against me, uh, because uh, it just populates the field and it makes the odds of anybody getting the nomination away from Donald Trump almost impossible.
2: Yeah, I, I think that's true. I think if, uh, if it was to only become, and I'm still not convinced that DeSantis is going to be a candidate I've expressed for for a long period of time. I don't think it's in his best interest or anyone's best interest, the country's best interest, uh, for DeSantis to run at this point. Uh, I am a strong advocate for the future of DeSantis as it pertains uh, to, the, to the presidency. Right now, I think it is not to his advantage or our advantage that that happened. But I, if, if it was to be a head-to-head com, uh, contest only between Trump and DeSantis, I think that would get ugly, ugly very quickly, and I just don't think it's something that America can afford. Uh, but as you were pointing out, I think the more candidates, the less it will be that focused head-to-head uh, competition between uh, uh, President Trump and and Governor DeSantis.
1: All right, we're going to take a little break. Andy, can you stick around? I'm going to be here, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here in The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of The Bob Harden Show Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show and now here's your host Bob Harton
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new refreshing social networking platform and you can find out more and download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. We continue the conversation with Professor Andrew Joppa, author of Josephus of Oz. Again Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be Thank you, Andy. So uh, I just want to continue our conversation about uh, uh, well, we we left off with Nikki Haley, uh, but uh, let's uh, do. You want to move to Ukraine?
2: Yeah, I just I just want to note uh, just for your audience that I have a, a a bias against Nikki Haley primarily because of our uh, comments about Trump. So I, I just want to, I have this uh, bias that maybe contaminates my 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 views. But moving past uh, Nikki Haley, if we get into the uh, chemical spill in um, uh, in East Palestine, Ohio. This is on top of uh, the consistent attacks that have been uh, registered uh, against our electric grid. I think there have been forty uh, documented attacks on our electric grid. Uh, well-documented uh, accidents, let's call them. We don't know, but accidents of our food processing plants. Uh, and now we're seeing this uh, this uh, chemical accident in uh, in Ohio. Uh, which followed by the, the next day or within several days uh, by a nitric acid uh, rollover in Arizona. Again, I'm not trying. But yes, I am. I, I'm running all these together as what seems to be a consistent series of attacks on our infrastructure. Uh, and the, the trains uh, certainly have consistently carried large amounts of chemicals for a long period of time without accident. Uh, right now, that train that went, went uh, decoupled in, uh, in Ohio was not even listed uh, as carrying uh, hazard- hazardous material, yet it was carrying uh, vinyl chloride as its major component, but it was carrying phosgene, uh, hy- uh, hydrogen chloride, uh, and many other toxins. So you have this incredibly dangerous uh, um, uh, train traveling through populated areas, uh, and I would like to know. I'd like to get to the details, and I think everybody wants this uh, to find out exactly what caused this this accident to take place. When I look at Governor DeWine turning down the uh, resisting much of the federal support in this cleanup. When I watch the uh, the burn off uh, as the uh, the best way of clearing the uh, the, the noxious gases uh, and, and liquids from this environment uh, again, it gets back to earlier comments we have. Uh, I just become extremely concerned about the the way it's being handled uh, as it's been pointed out many times. Everyone, I think, has to acknowledge if this had happened in L.A., if it had happened in D.C., if it had happened in Detroit or Chicago, the response would have been dramatically different than what we're seeing right now, uh, which seems to be uh, almost uh, relatively insignificant in our response. And yet the waterways that could be contaminated by this spill uh, can affect – possibly affect – I'm not trying to be a fear-monger here – but could possibly affect – one-tenth of the water supplies going into Americans uh, as the tributaries feed into larger rivers,
1: Bob? Uh, No question. And, uh, you know, to me, its uh, I hate to be politicized, this entire thing, but it seems to me that uh, the attitude seems to be there's no APA, there there seems to be no involvement with regard to federal agencies to make sure that people are safe. It's just kind of like, hey, you know what, these are just Republicans. They'll be okay. Let's just move on. You know, I I so much hate
2: to want to not think that. I mean, I you know, I certainly I pointed out before my my reluctance to accept anything uh, on face value from the government that's not inappropriate at this point. And yet, I I would, jeez, I would I would hate to believe that they would willingly put hundreds, if not thousands, of lives at risk uh, because of what you just suggested. Although, certainly, Bob, I cannot deny that potential.
1: Yeah, it's uh, really pathetic, indeed. So uh, do you want to ma- uh, make any comments at all about what's happening in Ukraine?
2: Well, it's not so much what's happening in Ukraine, and we don't have a lot of time left. But I, I, let me just start out with, with sort of a dramatic comment, and then I'll get into some exploration of that. Uh, my, my dramatic opening comment is Ukraine is not even a country. It is not a country. And I, I just wanted to point out, in the limited time we have left, somewhat the history Of the Ukraine, and this should only take a a minute or so. But I think it's revealing in terms of what it suggests. In 1654, the Ukrainian territory uh, was very small. Uh, That thing in 1654 that was called Ukraine was actually the Zaporizhian, a Cossack area. it it comprises a very small part of of current Ukraine. Uh, If we look at where Ukraine came from, first of all, the large northern section was created by the czars uh, over a 200-year period. The eastern section was created by Vladimir Lenin in the early 20s. The western section was created by Joseph Stalin in the period from 1939 to 1945. Crimea was put there by Nikita Khrushchev in 1954. Huh. The point that is being made is the entire, almost the entirety of Ukraine was a creation of Russian or Soviet, both same-same in this, in this sense, activities uh, as a result of war or activities that were war-like. Uh, I, because there was always the presumption that Ukraine was Russia. So all these areas being added to, to Ukraine, this small little sliver of land that was Ukraine, uh, was in fact always considered to be merely nothing more than adding to a a piece of Russia uh, that already existed called Ukraine, Bob.
1: Very interesting. Andrew Joppa, again, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Uh, great read. Uh, it's off topic for today's discussion. But again, Josephus of Oz by Andrew Joppa. Andy, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, talk about. All right. Thank you so much, Andy. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got great guests for tomorrow's show, including Keith Flaw, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Michael Cannon, Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Seton Motley is the founder and president of Less Government. And the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, will be joining us as well. Uh, Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. Also, if you enjoy the show, I hope you'll tell your friends. That's one of the ways we get the word out and support our advertisers. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. (laughs)